Welcome back. This evening, I'm not in my usual space. Maybe have a different background, maybe have a little background noise, but we have an excellent story for this evening. We're going to be talking about a lodge in a small town with a big history, very proud history, and I have an amazing lineup of brothers that's going to help share not only that history, but also a little bit of the future to come about Gardner Lodge number 65, the Gardner Masonic Temple right here in Gardner, Kansas. So stick with us because we have an amazing show for you right after this on Historical Light. Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. Enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome back to Historical Light, a Masonic podcast focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. My name is Alex Powers. I'm your host, and I have with us an amazing lineup of brothers this evening that I'm excited to introduce to you. Uh, so let's go through here and, uh, and meet a few of them. So I'll just look at the screen that I got in front of me. And uh, right up on the top, we have Brother Dave Hayden, also known as Deuce. Brother Deuce, how are you doing this evening? Doing very well, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. We're glad to have you here. So uh, you've never been on the show before. Uh, you are a member of Gardner Lodge. And as we're going to get into a little bit later, you have a long and proud family history uh, connected to uh, Gardner Lodge. Um, tell us just a little bit about your background in masonry. Well, see, I've been a mason for what now 24 years i get my 25 year emblem next year so look, definitely looking forward to that but uh yeah my, my father uh has been a member uh just a few more years than me uh my, my brother as well and so they definitely got me interested in it and, and then we're able to come in and bring me in uh and then of course my going even further my grandfather that was involved and uh as well as uh, my great great grandfather great uncles all sorts of uh uh, members of my family. So that's definitely something that's kind of kind of brought me in and kept me going. Fantastic. And you have served as Worshipful Master of uh, the Gardner Masonic Temple. What year was that? Uh, 2004. 2004. Right on. And then down in the bottom left, at least on my screen, I think it's the same on everyone's screen. Uh, we have the current Worshipful Master of the Gardner Masonic Temple, uh, Brother Gerald Sloan. How you doing, brother? Hey, I'm doing great, Alex. Thanks for having me on tonight. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It's a I'll, I'll be a little event. more visible. Be a little more visible here just in a second. I was running a little late, as you know. So not a problem here at all. I, okay. Well, here we'll let you get set up on that computer, uh, and we'll we'll get an introduction from you in just a moment. We'll uh, check in with Justin here real quick. All right, and then we got Brother Justin Staley, who is no stranger to the show, especially his children, who I'd be disappointed if. They aren't home right now watching, uh, thinking that we're all TV stars. Hey, Staley kids, what's going on, guys? <laughs> Brother Justin, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. So tell us just a little bit about your backstory in masonry. Yeah, so I guess I've been with what, Gardner Lodge for a little over two years now, two and a half years. Uh, current senior warden. Um, you know, family history, I would say. You know, I've got a great uncle out in California. 
other than that, it's, you know, back in Iowa, you know, great, great, greats, you know, but other than that, no immediate family. So. Fantastic. So uh, while Worshipful Gerald's getting set up there, we typically start off our, our episodes with a little bit of an icebreaker, getting to know our guests on a more personal level before we get into the topic at hand. So one of the questions we asked there, both of you so far have kind of bridged on, and we'll get to Gerald here in a moment when he gets all set up. Uh, but one of those questions is the family history of Mason. We, we, we've established both of you have that. What, so what I'm interested, uh, let's start with you, Brother Deuce. Is the family history what ultimately got you to become a Mason, or what was it that really made you make that leap? For me, really, it kind of was just because knowing, you know, having my father in and my brother, uh, you know, and it, they were able, you know, kind of able to talk to them about it and kind of, you know, hear some of the things that they were saying about it. Uh, that really got me intrigued. And then I'm, I'm a huge history buff, kind of like yourself, Alex. I, I really like family history and, and genealogy and all that. Uh, and then the, to, to just to hear about, you know, other family members in the past uh, and how far it, back it went. That, you know, just was really, you know, uh, what really got me in. And and then, of course, being in the lodge, you know, it's the same lodge that, you know, my grandfather was in, my my great yeah. grandfather, knowing that they were in there, you know, maneuvering within those walls and those doors, you know, maybe a little bit different furniture and stuff. But you never know. I mean, there might be a few old things sitting around that they've they held in their hands, you know. Uh, so, I mean, that all that stuff, it just, you know, and, you know, just the old everything old about the lodge and the history and all the guys there talking and the stories that we get, good Lord, we get so many great, great stories uh, every night. You just, you hard, hard to pull away. Oh, a hundred percent for sure. Uh, Brother Justin, how about you? Is it, is it your family history that got you involved in masonry or what was it that had you really do that jump to get involved? Well, you know, um, I didn't really have, like, I didn't know at the time I had to meet, you know, family members in, you know, masonry whatsoever. So, for me, it was just kind of like my own path. I would say, you know, for me, what really brought it on was um, when I was in the military, when I was in, you know, Korea, one of my sergeants um, just so happened to be going through the, you know, the whole process. And that's when, when it kind of piqued my interest and kind of took off from there. That's fantastic. Brother Gerald, looks like you've got set up there. Do we got audio on you? I don't know. Do you? <laughs> what? what? I'll use hey, sign language. There you go. So first <laughs> off, welcome to the show. Thrilled to have you on. You. Current Worshipful Master. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and your background in masonry. Well, um, I'm just a guy, right? And I'm, I'm happy to be a mason for sure. Um, you know, I, I came into masonry probably a little different route than a lot. Um, no real family ties to mace to masonry except a great grandfather who I didn't know was a mason until after I became a mason. So um, there was no real push from the family side for me. But uh, interestingly enough, I became um, a mason to become a shriner, and uh -huh. uh, because I was very involved with the the hospitals, you know, I'm in the medical field, and I, I did a lot of um, things for those hospitals. And they said, well, why don't you just become a Shriner then? I'm like, okay, why not? You know, I love your hospitals. So I uh, became, you know, joined Gardner Lodge to become a Shriner, fell in love with Gardner Lodge. I, you know, I, I truly believe it's a love story. I mean, as strange as it may sound, um, as these guys know on the broadcast, I travel about 40 miles every night to come out to the lodge. Right. Um, 
and and that's because Gardner is so special. And as we talking tonight, you're going to find out why um, I feel that way. I, and um, I can consider it just to be a tremendous honor um, to be the worst foal here at Gardner Lodge. And uh, I just love love the brotherhood. So that's fantastic. So yeah, to kind of chime in on that, you know. Um, I wasn't original to Gardner Lodge. I know our uh, our fan base here has kind of heard me harp on that before, but I was actually raised in Lenexa Lodge and ended up moving to Gardner. And I knew there was a lodge there, even though in the modern day, which we'll get to, it faces the wrong way. And I passed that lodge about 12 times before I actually found out where it was located. But at the time, I had absolutely no ambitions to actually change lodge. I was, I was junior deacon Lenexa, um, really liked it there. Um, and it wasn't until just one random night I said, ah, I'm gonna go meet these guys, at least just to say hi, uh, just to visit. I had zero plans to uh, change. I even told the guys that night, zero plans to change lodges. But Gardner had a different feel. Um, and it was interesting because Lenexa was a little more my flow as far as, you know, being a suit and tie lodge. Uh, Gardner was definitely more of a, a rural town lodge, but at the same time, it was immediate and just, you know, you couldn't avoid the, the family aspect. Um, these brothers just just treated you like family. And there was a different feel that I left there. And I was surprised. I went straight home to my wife and I said, I might actually change lodges. And I did pretty immediately. Actually, I went back to Lenexa and it just hit me. I'm like, why am I driving an extra 30 minutes? You know, the opposite way you'll even work uh, to come here when I got a lodge that's uh just has a group of wonderful guys two minutes from the house. So made that switch, master in 2018, and loved it ever since. So this evening, we're going to talk about the history. I've, I've had some bits and pieces that we've shared through a bunch of different episodes, but it hit me just recently. We've never actually um, dove in and, uh, you know, really dived into the entire history of the lodge. So we're going to get into that tonight. Before we do, let's go through our normal spiel because we didn't do that. I, you guys noticed I'm in a different place, right? So typically I've got my, my setup, my room, everything's right. Uh, this evening is actually my brother-in-law's birthday. So we met out at my parents' house and had to come straight after work. So I just ran home and I grabbed my gear off the desk and I'm out on their back patio, uh, just enjoying the sunset out here in Raymore, Missouri. Uh, yeah, so hi all you Missouri Masons. But let's see here. So two things we didn't touch on. For one, want to give a huge shout out to our current Patreon supporters, those of you that help keep the show alive. We started this mission in 2016, devoted to Masonic history and uh, preserving and really telling that history, sharing those stories, and not just the, the major aspects that everyone knows of Masonic history, but the little stuff like Gardner Masonic Temple that most people would never know of uh, is our mission here. So if you'd like to support that mission and help us continue to grow, you can do so by going to the website, historicallight.com support and uh, join the Patreon subscribers. And yes, for brother like Justin, who's asked me 20 times, you can do so through PayPal. <laughs> and we also got to bring this up. This is the last time we're going to talk about this on Historical Light this year, MasonicCon Kansas. It's actually coming up next week. I'm stoked. I'm terrified, but it's going to be epic, and I can't wait for it. So if you guys haven't got in, 
you still have a slight opportunity to get in on the virtual side of it. $15 will get you eight speakers, international Masonic speakers, uh, two discussion panels that are going to be out of this world, and just a bunch of great brothers and education all brought to one place. Never had an event like this in Kansas before, and we are stoked to have this inaugural event uh, supported right here in Kansas coming next week on the 27th. So if you haven't done so, go over to MasonicConKansas.com, get that virtual pass, 15 bucks, can't beat it. All right, guys, let's talk some Gardner history, right? So before we before we jump off uh, onto the main part of this topic, do you guys have any uh, any initial comments diving into the history? What what was your thoughts coming into the lodge? Because I I know for me for one, when I was at Lenexa, Masonic history was not a thing for me. Uh, it was when I came to Gardner and we have this historic lodge, and you just you just feel that history walking through it. Um, that's that's when this show came about. That's when Masonic history really became a passion for me uh, is because of that lodge. Has that impacted you guys in any way? Do we have to raise our hand? Is that how this works? No, you just talk, brother. It's a conversation. <laughs> I think when you walk into our building, you, you instantly understand that this is an old lodge. Um, uh, it's... It just reeks, <laughs> not in a bad way, of course. Uh, <laughs> it reeks of being old, right? You know, like my grandfather. But uh, no, um, you, you when you there, the, you know, the pictures and the things that are there, you know, you you get to see that this goes back 125 plus years, and to know that you're part of a a chain that hopefully goes another 125 years you know, is, is I think invigorating when you say guys, I mean, it's, it's just, I almost feel like it's a, a little bit of responsibility to make sure that that keeps going on. Yeah. I, I feel that same way. Just I like when I was, I can remember sitting in the ante room and looking around and there's, there's the, the big picture that has a lot of the pictures of the past uh, masters. Yeah. And my grandfather was up there in 1956, I believe. And I was like, oh, my gosh, my grandfather. And I, my grandfather died when I was two. So I really never had a chance to, like, talk with him wow. really interact with him. But, I mean, just that just hit home right there. I was like, wow, that's how historic this is. And then, you know, other – I saw, like, another great-great-uncle back there on, on the wall as well and just, you know, knowing yeah. a little bit more. And then, then just seeing everything. And, I mean, even getting in the kitchen, you know, you look at the dishes and all the, the formal flatware and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they, it was a big deal. For, to run dinners and stuff through there. So that's uh, just all, of, all of that stuff is really, really kind of cool to see. Oh, 100%. Justin, what about you? You're, you're newer to the lodge, but what was your thoughts coming in? Did the, did the history impact you in any way? Or Oh, yeah, just the history in general I love, you know, and then coming in there and then learning from, you know, you talking to you about this as well. What's that over there? What's this? You know, we've had those conversations. And then, you know, I'm reading your book and stuff like that. You know, that's kind of where I got all my info from so yeah just taking in all that history 100 man so it it's interesting uh brother deuce just mentioned about the uh the frame full of past master photos and you know that's that's not unique to gardner lodge i think most lodges we go to uh, and you guys are going to see me scratching like crazy because there are so many mosquitoes out here it's insane <laughs> but pretty much any lodge you go to uh I know here in Kansas is typically in the dining hall, uh, but they've usually got an entire wall 
know, dedicated to the past masters. Uh, they've all got their portraits up there. And Lenexa was that way. You go downstairs, their dining hall was in the basement, uh, but they had this, you know, this huge hall going all the way back to day or year one, first, you know, worshipful master of the lodge. That always impacted me because it just, you know, even though it's not all the members, it's the master, it still shows you, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, you can see what they look like. You can kind of get that glimpse of personality. Um, and when I came to Gardner Lodge, they had that, but I was surprised because 2018 when I was master was the 150th uh, year. So this was just a few years prior to the 150, and it's a collage frame. And out of almost 150 years, I think there's roughly 20 to 25 photos in that frame. And that impacted me right there. And that frame alone is what really got this show started and this monstrosity of a book started. Because for the first time in masonry, I felt like I'd found a place that I could give back to the craft. Going through my degrees in Lenexa, you know, masonry impacted me in a, in a huge way. Um, but I, I just kind of felt like that, you know, perpetual inner apprentice, like I'm so much lower than these guys. I, I don't have anything I can offer. Uh, but when I saw that, I saw this lacking history on such a historically relevant place. I'm like, this is somewhere where I can finally give back to masonry. And that was one of my first goals is I'm going to track down these pictures. And in doing so, uncovered this story of Gardner Lodge that I fell in love with, started to get to know these early characters in a, in a oddly personal manner, even though they've been dead for a hundred years. <laughs> but uh, through that, you know, this, this Masonic temple has one heck of a story to tell and I'm, I'm proud to tell it. So brother juice, before I kind of go through the mundane bullet points of our history, We've talked a, a quite a bit. You've got an extensive family history going back. Um, before we kind of go back to the beginning of that, one point that I find interesting that I don't want to skip on is is your dad, who is our current uh, secretary, uh, Dave Senior. Now, he wasn't a Mason at first, correct? Uh, no, no. It, it, he actually, he's, he's probably only been a Mason. Well, shoot, I think he just got his 25-year emblem maybe a year or two ago. Uh, and so he's been fairly recent on that. Uh, and so that, uh, um, so yeah, he, he, and that, and that's another thing when you start thinking about it is like, you know, my grandfather was a Mason, uh, and, you know, was involved and, but my dad wasn't, you know, and, 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 and so he didn't, he didn't actually join the lodge until I think what, 20, maybe 20 some years after my grandfather passed away, you know, and I think it even took like, it took Doc Kenoki, brother Doc Kenoki to uh, kind of talk to him and get him in. And so yeah. that's, uh. Um, one of those things that, you know, it's probably one of, and that's one of the reasons why he, he wanted to have, you know, me come in uh, is, you know, have, have one of his, one of his sons come in and, and be a part of that. Cause that's really cool. Cause I mean, he was, he actually uh, raised me, uh, you know, he, you know, <laughs> he'd only been in a few extra years before me, but he had my, and actually my older brother learned some of the work so that, you know, uh, my dad was the master of my third degree and my, my brother was the uh, senior deacon. So uh, it, awesome. it was, it was really kind of cool. I mean, I took it. I mean, I was like, oh, this is really neat, you know, and you think about it. I mean, that doesn't happen for a lot of people. So it uh, definitely it definitely made a mark for me. That, that is very cool. Yeah, that's the story I heard is, is old Doc Kenoki, uh, who is a name that is definitely going to come up this evening. Uh, kind of had to talk him into joining the lodge. Do you, do you know uh, if there was a reason of why he didn't get involved earlier on? 
Not, not really. I mean, just, just, just busy, just lots of things, yeah. uh, you know, and my grandfather passed away, kind of you know, the family farm kind of moved over to my dad to kind of pick that up and go with it. And so, uh, you know, and he, he, you know, farming is just kind of a part-time job for him. So right. uh, it's, you know, if you can call it that, you know, like a couple hundred acres with a bunch of, you know, hundred and some cows as a part-time job. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, he, he, he's an aircraft avionics and did very well with that. And so, uh, very, very, very busy. And so, but you know, uh, he was able to be, yeah, for, for me, it was really no talk about lodge or anything like that just cause I didn't really have anybody, nobody was really active in it until right. later on. I think I was maybe graduated or graduating college and getting married when he actually joined. And so, uh, and so and then later, you know, a couple of years later I come in. So now re remind me, cause is it your second grade or third great grandfather uh, that homesteaded the property there? Uh, uh, second. Second grade? Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. So your family history is going to tie in a bunch because this is how far back it goes is he was one of the early members. Uh, we, we have him and it, it's, it's neat to think about because Gardner Lodge started out as, as a moonlight lodge. You know, it was to this day, Gardner, Kansas is a smaller town, just outside the bubble of Kansas City. It's nice because in today's modern world, we've got Olathe just, you know, one exit down, everything you need's there. But even though it's one exit removed and then just past it kind of goes into no man's land, um, it still remains uh, with a small town feel, even though it's grown tremendously. Uh, but that that's a really cool aspect of how this lodge has formed and thinking about back in the days of when it was this moonlight lodge and while your guys's farm out there is pretty close in the days of horse and buggy <laughs> yeah it, it was a little out there and that'd I, be like know, five or six miles by horse and buggy or horse right or however and, so, yeah, that, yeah that would have definitely been a, a trek to get in there oh 100 percent. so Put into perspective here, Gardner Lodge, and you guys will see some pictures here shortly. Uh, the current building we have says 1906 or 1907 above it. Um, but Gardner Lodge was actually chartered in 1868. And when they started out, we had the charter members of Emmanuel Clark, uh, Dr. William Sheen, uh, Jay Bruner, Jay Clapp, uh, William McCoy, B. Wiltsey, uh, T. Marshall, Robert Lamasters and brother Jay Doors. Uh, those were our charter members. And they actually started out uh, when they came to Gardner in 1868, Olathe was an already established community. And Olathe 23 is actually the lodge that uh, petitioned to support our letters of dispensation. And that's where Emmanuel Clark, our first master, he was actually a member of Olathe 23 before coming over. But interestingly enough, this part of the world, especially uh, Kansas in the time, we think about odd fellows in today's day and age, and they're a much smaller, I, I say that with caution, here in Kansas, they are a much smaller organization. I know in places like California, they, they thrive to this day. Um, but in that period of time, the odd fellows, IOF, uh, it made its way westward across the United States much faster, much more dominantly uh, than Freemasonry did. And we see, at least in Kansas, I know there's been other states, I think uh, Brother Robert I was talking to in Texas didn't quite see this trend down there. Um, but we see a lot of our Masonic temples here in Kansas or the lodges, uh, they actually got their start by leasing or renting space from the local Oddfellows Hall uh, because they were already in place. 
And for those of you that have a little bit of familiarity with uh, with the Order of the Odd Fellows, it's very closely resembled off of the structure of Freemasonry. Uh, the officers are very much alike. The look of the regalia is very similar. Uh, the message within the degrees carry similar tones and aspects. And within that, their lodge room is dang near exactly the same. So when you come in to start a Masonical, are you going to rent space and then have to haul all your stuff in and literally build a lodge before every meeting? Or if there's an odd fellow hall that's already in place, you can just pay me a little money and just show up and meet. Uh, it's, it's kind of a no brainer. So that happened in a lot of communities throughout Kansas and it happened here in Gardner. So it was actually the odd fellows order uh, lodge number 23 is the lodge that was established in Gardner. And I still to this day have not found where they were located. I found their charter, the actual, the Gardner uh, Historical Museum has the original Oddfellows charter, but it doesn't tell where in Gardner it was located at. And that matters to me because I want to know where our brothers originally met at uh, when they came to Gardner and started to, started to do that. But early on, those, those charter members that we talked about, several of those guys were also Oddfellows. One of them, uh, who we'll talk about here, uh, Brother Dr. Sheen, who was the first surgeon within this part of Kansas, very important figure, uh, even in Bleeding Kansas became an important figure. Um, he demitted Freemasonry, and I was never able to really tell what the reasoning was there, but he's buried in Gardner Cemetery in the township uh, part, and he only has the odd fellow. Uh, symbol on his grave, no Masonic symbol. I, I found that really, really interesting because he was a he was a huge figure early on, one of the charter members. Um, but yeah, well, hopefully one of these days, I'd like to uncover something that tells me why he he demitted the lodge and didn't represent that on his grave. But it, it, it's an interesting aspect. Now, to the aspect of why he was an important figure in Bleeding Kansas is he was anti-slavery. Obviously, Kansas was the free state. Gardner is right outside of Kansas City, uh, considered part of the KC Metro, so we're not far from that Missouri border. So obviously it was an area of issue. Um, and those border rough-ins came through there on multiple occasions, uh, even on their way to uh, Lawrence when they had the, the uh, historic burning and raid out there. Um, they actually, and I, I'm gonna tell the story very loosely because it's been some time, um, one of the ladies in Gardner blamed herself for the raid on Lawrence because she didn't stop the guy. She actually kind of suggested and did everything she could to push him out of town. They came through Gardner and you guys will know um, just over across from us now is that dance studio. Uh, originally that was the old farmer's bank. And when they came through there, those rough ends tried to rob a couple stores. And the loose story of this was they smashed through the window of the bank. They saw the reference coming. So everyone kind of tried to close up shop and, and uh, you know, hide away. So the banker and I think it was a son were upstairs uh, in the bank. They smashed through the window. They wanted to come in and they were going to blow the safe. Well, long story short, his wife had came down and convinced them that the banker was actually out on a call and wasn't going to be back for hours and he had the key to the safe and furthermore convinced them that if they blew the safe the type of material it was it was going to destroy all the money and they 
said, yeah, you know, that makes sense, whatever. And because of her actions, they took off and they headed to Lawrence and the famous sacking on Lawrence, you know, happened. And, you know, historically she had noted that, you know, she blamed herself for that. Uh, it, it, it's interesting to see how little Gardner kind of plays a role there. But within that, one of the things that happened or one of the reasons they were said to come through Gardner in the first place was actually looking for our charter member, Brother Dr. Sheen, because he was extremely outspoken on his anti-slavery views and at one point had been outspoken against Cantrell. Uh, so Cantrell actually came to Gardner looking for Sheen. The story that I've heard, and I don't know how accurate it is, but the story I've heard, because his house was over there uh, kind of towards the second highway exit where that RV place is now. And there's a big cornfield back behind. Story is when Sheen came looking for him and he saw the horses and stuff coming, uh, or I'm sorry, Cantrell came looking for Sheen. He ran out the back door, booked it through the cornfield and laid down in the middle and hid until Cantrell couldn't find him and, and went away. Uh, so that was, that was one of the major reasons they actually came through that way on the Lawrence to, on the way to Lawrence to start with. So Gardner Lodge, uh, starting early on, met in the Oddfellows Hall, uh, established 23, somewhere in Gardner. We have no idea where that was. And then by, so that's 1868 is when they got chartered there. By the late 70s, early 1880s, they were at a point of building a new hall. And it didn't say this, but my, my presumption is the hall that they were in was in quite bad shape. Um, back in those days, Gardner was a, a stick town. Everything was just very loosely made out of wood, not in a good way. And we'll, we'll discuss that. Um, but where we have now Gardner, the, the temple located, uh, at one point they called that the burn block because it was all a stick row and it was so dry. We had the Dust Bowl era. Um, those buildings burned extremely, extremely easily. So they had talked about rebuilding or building a new hall and this went back and forth for several years and for some reason the odd fellows were dragging their feet on it and they just they weren't coming out to actually get a new hall established uh to the point that the masons went behind their back to a degree and said okay well we're going to build our own thing and they had talked to uh they talked to two people about buying lots right now i don't I know Brother Deuce, you'll be familiar. I'm not sure if the other brothers. Uh, at the end of our block used to be, I think, where the road went down to the train depot. But the old post office was there. Now it's like a granite countertop place and sat vacant, uh, vacant for many years. But that, that piece of property right there where that old post office was, that was supposed to be Gardner Lodge. Uh, that was where they were going to build the temple and they were going to go in on it and go basically half seas with the odd fellows and build this new hall there odd fellows drug their feet so then they said well we'll buy it all of ourselves and we'll just we'll do it the lady that owned the property her husband had passed away he was a blacksmith and there was a blacksmith shed on the back side of the property she owned the next lot over as well and her condition of buying the lot was that they had the masons had to move that blacksmith shed onto her other property so that her son or somebody like that could continue using it well then they also got talking to biglow who was involved in masonry and was a huge name in gardner at the time uh, owned i think like half the town um Okay. 
and then uh so they got talking to Biglow and he offered up the plot of land that our lodge is currently located on. He had a store directly across the street and this lot where our lodge is now was completely vacant, nothing on it. The price was just about the same. And they said, well, we can buy this one over here and we all got to muscle up and move an entire blacksmith shed, or we can buy this one over here and not have to do a damn thing to it. We can just build our building and, and, and be good. So they went that way. They went ahead and bought that plot of land where we live now. So that's interesting that we've we've owned that piece of Gardner since that aspect of time, like right from the beginning of Gardner, essentially, we've been there. Now, they built their first building right in the same spot as we are now. But here's the key factor facing Main Street. I wish I could go back in time and get them to rebuild it the same way. Because uh, like I said, when I moved to Gardner, I think at the time they thought civilization was going to be coming from the other way because that train depot was coming from the other way. And I thought that's where they, they just kind of thought everything was headed. So that first building was very similar to what we have now, a classic two-story Masonic temple with a store space on the bottom floor lodge up top steep stairs sucks for old people yeah we, we see it all the time in rural uh, communities that's what garden lodge is that's what garden lodge was in 1906 a store existed on the bottom floor and in the middle of the night a kerosene lantern got tipped over uh, don't know the details of it somebody was probably working in there but kerosene lantern got tipped over and burned the entire place down. Now, a few years prior to this, there'd been all kinds of fires. We kind of talked about that. It was stick row, uh, burn row, they called it at points because at that point they, they were getting to be fairly old, right? Um, especially for that point in time. I mean, buildings weren't built the same way they are today. Uh, but everyone kept saying that that whole row, because they were all connected, they're like, it's going to burn. So they wanted to future-proof those buildings and I think it's probably a good time. We can go ahead and throw this up on screen. Let me find it here. They wanted to try to future-proof these buildings. And their plan at the time was to do a brick veneer over the building. Uh, just, eh, I don't really know how it's fireproof, I guess, in their aspect it was to a degree. Uh, so they started selling these uh, certificates of stock, essentially, uh, for the lodge to fundraise to get to a point that they could afford to put on this brick veneer and cheaply rebuild the lodge. Uh, so this, this was in, in motion. They were selling shares of stock to fund this and they were going to pay it back with interest, of course. And before that could happen, the building burned down. So in 1906, we know kerosene lantern tips over and Actually, while I've got this up, here's here's a pretty cool uh, photo. So the Kansas, or actually Johnson County Historical Society, I'll give them proper credit, uh, is where I found this photo. We didn't even have a copy of it. This is the temple we have today being rebuilt uh, in late 1906 because it was it was opened and ready to go early on 1907. So this is some of the uh, uh, operative masons of the time actually building this so on that bottom left is modern day where groundhouse coffee would exist 
And then the bottom right is now, uh, forgetting the name, it's a financial store. Edward Jones. Edward Jones exists in there now. And then on that far right side, uh, kind of where you see those, uh, those two by fours, uh, that there's a stairway that goes up at that point, takes you upstairs, whole top floor uh, belongs to the lodge. And then over here we can see, and that's a really small picture, but that's Biglow's uh, store. Uh, he, he was the biggest merchant in the area, owned all kinds of property and real estate. Um, and he was the guy that actually uh, sold us uh, the plot of land that we're on now, Biglow's general store there. But anyway, so 1906, that burns down. And because of this man right here with the poindexter hair, uh, this is brother Frank Lyon. Uh, he's past master, Gardner Lodge. I already like the guy because he has the Euclid's 47 problem lapel pin on, so he's my type of guy. Uh, at the time, he was a secretary. He was the Dave Hayden Sr. of the time. He'd served as secretary a bunch of years. He was also known uh, to be the go-to guy for Masonic funerals. Every time I saw a Masonic funeral in like the several decades space of time, he was the one doing it. When that place caught on fire, he's the sitting secretary, right? He runs into the burning building. So interesting thing, when I got into trying to research this history, I was lucky enough there's a history book uh, that was written at our 100 year anniversary. Uh, so that was 1968. And that was, uh, Deuce, remind me, uh, guy's name that wrote that book. It's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah I cannot think of it. I was just looking at it the other day. I can't remember who wrote that. Yeah, on the tip of my tongue. He was fantastic guy. I uh, wish I had the chance to, to meet him. And thanks to him, I, I got the starts and half the information I had. But his 100-year anniversary uh, history of the lodge, which he worked extensively on, he had condensed into probably a 17 to 20-page pamphlet, essentially. And it, was, it just skipped over and just really compressed so much of the history. Well, I'd read in there, there's several points that he mentioned they did not have the early uh, the early records of the lodge. So he had to go off of members' memory and people within the town that could tell the story. I don't know what happened, uh, and I didn't get it pulled up. We have the 1958 uh, photo of the lodge room. In that time, at least in 58, we don't see the, uh, the file cabinets in the east that we have today where all those records are kept. And that was around the time because he wrote that history book in the 60s, so very close there, that he stated they did not have the history uh, for the first several minute books. Uh, so probably accounted for the first 15 years, essentially. Must have gone into private possession at some point. I'm not sure when we got it back, but by the time I came into Gardner Lodge around 2015, they were there. I don't know. Some point along the line, we got the history back. So because of that, and because he kind of compressed so much of the other history, I decided to, because originally I was going to, for the 150th, just continue what he had done and bring that book up to date and write basically a part two. And that wasn't quite enough going through. So then we we're working on this website. We built a website and started building that out. We're just going to build this huge website. But the brothers were saying, no, we want a book. So I got writing. And of course, it 
reached 700 pages and we had to stop. That's how much awesome stuff there is in the Gardner history. But the only reason I was able to work on that and the only reason the other brother was able to work on that first book is because of this brother we're staring at right here, Frank Lyon, because sitting secretary, when that building's burning, he ran inside and grabbed all the record books and got them out safely. Part two of that that I thought was really interesting, because when I first came to Gardner, there were these two frames hanging in the dining hall and you couldn't make them out. They were just old and brown and crusty. And I'd asked several people what they were and nobody could give me a straight answer. They said, oh, I think they're sun beaten. They've been here as, as long as I've been here. I'm not sure what they are. can't really make them out. I said, oh, cool. Well, I'm doing all this history stuff. So I said, at the very least, I want to kind of get a good picture of them so we can, you know, maybe one day find out what they are. I couldn't tell what they were either at the time. So I take them home and I was going to try to open it up. And I think she can hear me. Yes, I do want the light on if you can hear me. <laughs> it's getting dark out here. <laughs> so at, at the time, I'd, I'd taken them home and the plan was to open them up and try to get a look at just what these documents are so I could try to get a good picture, a good scan. And when I get them home under the right lighting, I notice it's not just sun beaten. If I open that frame, these are just going to disintegrate to dust because they're so crispy. If you look at them, they're actually already broken in so many spots. And the closer I looked at them, I realized it's fire damage. And it was the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And only theory I can come up with is those are the two things they were able to pull off the wall after the fire. And we still have them to this day. So I never took them out of that frame because they'll never go back in. So we just got a good picture of them and we still have them to this day, the original constitution and bill of rights that hung in the lodge and burned through that fire. So I thought that was pretty cool. Part two, we've met, we've met this guy, Frank Lyon, that saved our records. We've got this guy here uh, who looks kind of like uh, he could beat the crap out of you, but talks really <laughs> slow. This was the sitting master um, at the time. And I'm, Okay, Brother Carl Harris, he was the master of Gardner Lodge at the time. So Gardner Lodge, very small town, 1906 when this fire happened. Uh, the brothers, so I guess it's an important factor to go ahead and bring in. Um, our lodge has three lodges that have compiled into it. Um, one of them being Palestine Lodge from Edgerton, Kansas, and the most recent uh, being Wellsville Lodge from Wellsville, Kansas. Now, especially Palestine and Edgerton had a very, very close relationship with Gardner Masonic Temple. Apparently she can't hear me. Um, had a very close relationship with Gardner Masonic Temple. They were at each other's degrees nonstop. And when Gardner Lodge caught on fire, they could actually see the flames and the smoke all the way from Edgerton. And we have record that those guys actually hopped on the rail on an old push cart, grabbed buckets, and headed on down to Gardner to help put out that fire. That's the time period we're talking here. Early 1900s in rural Kansas. They didn't have fire trucks. They didn't have all those modern amenities. The water at the time had to be hand pumped and scooped in buckets. So they had one pump that had to be hand pumped for eight hours to fight that fire. And this guy that you're staring at, 
the sitting master of the lodge was the guy that without a single break, it said, stood there for eight hours and hand pumped the water. The sitting master of the lodge hand pumped the water to fight that fire the entire time. I thought that was just tremendously cool. So that puts us at 1907. We get that place rebuilt. You saw the, the photo down here of it, of it being built uh, into its new, new style, which was massive at the time because they built it in this all brick manner, fireproof for the ages. And it was written in the newspaper at the time that this was the most modern design in this part of Kansas. So this was like bringing Kansas City to Gardner. And it was the talk of the town for many years after that because it was just this marvel to look at. You didn't have any other architecture like that in the town. The Masons were the first ones to bring that. So then moving some years past, we, we, we have some other cool you know images that we can kind of see how Gardner progressed. We've got the bug zapper going out here. Um, we were talking about this just the other day uh, because our light on the side of the building went out. And Brother Gerald, Worshipful Master, was asking... I think his computer just died. I was asking you know, how they got that on the building to start with because of the power lines. And interestingly enough, if you look, when they first electrified these buildings, we have this pole, which is now in the modern day, uh, the street light, the stoplight for the intersection out there. Uh, this was a hub. And especially going a little bit past this, um, got bigger. And there was probably, I don't know, five or six boxes of that size um on this pole and there's a platform up there so you're actually able to get up on that platform and dang near touch the building and on the other one that platform's even bigger wider all wood and i think that's how they put that light up there but then we get into what year was this 19 oh no 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 okay so yeah i guess shortly after around 1907 you see that same electric pole so that's got to be the 20s um you see that same pole to the side this is what I thought was interesting. We see this sign. I don't know if I can probably not zoom in there. Yeah, we can. Dentist. And for, for kind of a clarification of where that sets, that, that's our, our anteroom, our chamber of reflection. And it, it kind of hit me. So I started doing research on this, and I found out it was one of the brothers that belonged to Garner Lodge, was also the town dentist. And he'd had his dentist office in several different places throughout the time. Um, and it was just decided they voted and said, yeah, you can meet here. And he paid a little bit of rent. And he actually used what is our Tyler's quarters today as his uh, his waiting room. And I've always kind of wondered why we have the chairs set up out there the way they are. And it, I think that's why, because in the early days of the lodge, it was, it was a waiting room. But for those of you familiar with the Chamber of Reflection, uh, utilized in Masonic ritual. Think about early 1900s dental equipment hanging all around. That'd be a dang chamber. Action. That, that, would, that would get you reflecting a little nervous before your degree, I think. <laughs> but so many cool aspects of that. We, we've even got uh, a guy in the early days of the lodge uh, that held the... Uh, held the patent for one of the early electric forms of the fire alarm uh, came out of, of Gardner, Kansas as well. So a lot of cool aspects there. But then getting into this time period is really, well, and as we talked, uh, Deuce is 
second great grandfather went back further than that because he was one of the earliest members and he had farm said that that land out there and brother I'm, I'm gonna let you tell a little bit more about that because you know much better than i but the cool thing is your family still lives on the land that they homesteaded and many of those members of your family were masons going through the generations what what kind of stories have you heard about uh your great great grandfather in early days of the lodge well you know whenever, whenever they came in i believe they they homesteaded around 1858 uh and um it was just always really interesting just to kind of know because they were they were actually pro-slavery uh so they were more confederate so you think about that time because you mentioned bleeding kansas earlier uh, and, you know, and I have always wondered what would bring you to Kansas in 1858? Uh, you know, it, it was it was it there for political reasons, you know, to make the state go pro-slavery versus anti-slavery. Uh, and so uh, it's really interesting just kind of reading up on Bleeding Kansas, just because, I mean, you know, we start thinking about that time period. You start reading more and more books about what was all going on here. And there was quite a bit. And it was it was dangerous on, on both sides. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, you had. Uh, you had rough border ruffians coming in from the Missouri side, but you also had uh, people like, you know, you had John Brown. That was actually there was and there was some some uh, a lot of people that were getting pulled out of their house in the middle of the night uh, that were that were being uh, killed as well. So you had a lot of uh, uh, very tumultuous time. And so to be uh, there and then, uh, you know, they my fam that family originally came from Kentucky all the way to Iowa, then down to Kansas. Uh, and so they were mainly more Kentucky raid. Uh, so that, that's where their Southern roots would have come from. And so they actually moved about 1861. They actually decided to like, we're, you know, move down to Texas. And that's when the, they actually, like uh, my, my great, great grandfather and his brother uh, joined the Confederacy and they actually fought for the Confederacy. Uh, then they ended up coming back in 1869 to the same land. Um, my, uh, the, my great great grandfather's sister and her husband were also like had homesteaded out there. And so they actually uh, deeded all the, the property from the brothers over to her so she could take care of it. Uh, and then they came back several years later and, and, and took them back over. I've actually got the, the paperwork, you know, the handwritten from the lawyer uh, from 1861 that basically deeded the land over to their sister, Fanny. Uh, and then when they came back in 1869, the actual paper, that they did as well, wrote it up to, to get the land back. You know, it was kind of funny because I mean, it's on blue paper, you know, the beautiful handwriting that they used at the time. You can see the signatures down there uh, and you could tell it's folded up. It was just folded up like you'd put it like in your back pocket or your front pocket or something like that. Because right. it, it, it sat like that for, for many years. And so that was always interesting to see. Yeah. So we mentioned uh, John Brown there. And to put that in perspective, we are right in the midst of the John Brown crisis, because, well, for one, the, uh, what was it? The massacre of Potawatomi? Uh, no, not that one. Uh, Master Syene or something like that. It's Lassine? the one that, uh, it's, and there's several others. It's in Lassine County. Let me see yeah. here. Um, but, anyways, that massacre happened. Less than an hour south of Gardner. Yeah. Um, and essentially, what happened there was uh, that part of Kansas was right on the Missouri border, uh, a little bit south of us. And uh, it included some Freemasons. So the border rough ends had come over. One of the rough ends himself 
being a Mason and several of the members of this community that they went after uh, were Masons as well. And there's actually a picture on the Grand Lodge of Kansas website uh, dictating early Kansas Masonry and this act of where he's actually giving uh, the sign of distress of a Mason in the photo um, because he knew the rough-in guy was a Mason as well. And going through the Civil War, there's there's tons of uh, points like this that we see that they've, they've came out and given a hailing sign of distress and were able to save their life in that manner. In this particular instance, he was still shot to death along with the others. And John Brown's sons actually called him and he that's when he originally came to Kansas, uh, was in uh, retaliation for that. So he could uh, actually gear up and go after the Ruffins. And on that same property, just, you know, not even a half mile from the massacre site itself, he built a cabin where he lived for about a year, lived, trained, gathered men, um, and kind of went out from that area. He, he was getting ready to go. And then just on the other side of us, between us and Baldwin, um, is where the Battle of Blackjack took place. And essentially that was when John Brown went from that cabin, which they've built a reproduction of that still at or exists today, which is really creepy. It's a really cool site, but it's a creepy ground to be at. Um, he had went from there to the Battle of Blackjack, uh, and it's arguably the first shot that was fired in the Civil War unofficially um, because he attacked the rough-ins at that point. And they, they say that's probably the unofficial start of the Civil War in its entirety. So really interesting aspect there, because I've, I've wondered this so many times, Gardner Lodge in its early days was a union lodge, like mm -hmm. through and through. I mean, Emmanuel Clark, our, our first master, uh, fought and decorated for union. Uh, McClintock uh, was a decorated union officer. And we see this throughout a lot. Man, <laughs> especially the fact that uh, he went and fought for the South and then came back. I've often wondered, what were those lodge meetings like? Yeah, that's yeah, that was always really interesting to think about. You know, it's like, you, you, I don't know, putting it in perspective now, we're, we're, you know, country's fairly divided now with a lot of stuff. But, I mean, you wouldn't know to that and you go to lodge. And so, but, I mean, that was pretty big going on then. So, you, you makes it, make, it makes you wonder what what type of, uh, you know, uh, relationships there were. But I mean, evidently, I mean, they, they got along because, you know, you, 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 you see and you hear a lot of the interactions and so forth that, you know, and, you know, more and more, uh, you know, of, of my family is, is involved and in, in getting involved and all that. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it makes me wonder, you know, whenever you, they always talk about who you want, you know, if you could have 30 minutes to have a conversation with somebody, you know, that my second great grandfather, George Hayden, I, I would love to sit down and talk to him and really figure out I was like, what now, what were you doing down there? Why did you go down there? And what was a lot, you know, all, lots of questions, maybe an hour, maybe I need an hour, not just 30 minutes. But wasn't there, there was a rush between um, the pro-slavery, pro-slavery and anti-slavery when Kansas became a state because it was going to decide its own fate. Yeah. As I recall from the Nebraska, was it the Nebraska Act? Is that yeah. right? Guys, I'm really... Kansas is the Nebraska Act. And that's a, a really, it started off with a lot of the Missouri farmers and such which would come over and either lay claim to ground or just come over and vote. You know, there's you yeah. know lots of different 
kind of shady things were going on. Uh, and so it was very, uh, very contentious. I think. It was contentious. I mean, you know, lots of things That's going right. on. Lots of things. And yeah. it wasn't just, and it wasn't just Missouri folks. Yeah. <laughs> now you're going right. to find out where my blood, you know, is, is I, I'm a Missouri boy. Right. So, um, th it was back and forth. I think it's very important that, you know, that we state that, that it was both sides were coming across the border and it was a back and forth. And so the, it was, it was a, and some people still talk about today, the border war between Kansas and Missouri is an ongoing thing you know certainly not to the extent it was back then it's more fun now but um the roots of that go back to this time period um and uh it, it had to be yeah i wonder why your grandfather sat up there too other than maybe he was thinking he could pull that state a different direction yeah it, yeah or or hey it was a neat, great spot to go get some land you never i mean it was like uh yeah. the preemption acts that they were using you know was you know to, you, you can get land pretty, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was cheap or not, but, you know, getting, buying land at that point, you know, that's what everybody really wanted to do was to lay their claim. And so whether there was some political politics involved with that or not, you never, I don't know, but. Yeah. May, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe your great, great grandfather's the guy that got uh, Sheen to ditch lodge. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, so, maybe they uh, up and left and that, maybe that's where Sheen went and maybe he had it. Yeah. Hit, hit him in a cellar there. Yeah, it's like you don't want to, you know, I mean, yeah, it's just it. I mean, no matter what side you were on, they were either coming from Missouri to come, they might come get you or some somebody in Kansas might want to come get you. And it was, yeah. you know, and so. Yeah. I mean, that, that, it's the interesting thing, especially in that time, because it, as we see it today, the history books try to paint it as Kansas was free state, Missouri was slavery. That was the idea. And especially as that Kansas, Missouri Act tried to, you know, set that into uh, into more concrete establishment. Um, it wasn't as cut and dry in that time period because, like you said, there was people trying to fight uh, for Kansas to be pro-slavery and others that really wanted to establish the roots. So, especially where we are at today, this part of Kansas was very violent, and I mean that's that's why I call it bleeding Kansas. Uh, there was a lot of uh, divide. And they weren't afraid to stand up for it, which just amazes me that we had that existing within the lodge, but lodge was still able to exist harmoniously. Um, luckily, we got past that and slavery is no longer a thing. So that's that's good. <laughs> Absolutely. So let, let's see here, because we're coming up on the nine o'clock hour. But. A couple of the other aspects that we wanted to bring up here. For one, uh, this guy right here, and let me put it up on screen. Uh, this is one of the guys we're talking about. This this is William McClintock. An interesting aspect about him is we see him in Lodge every time we're there, right? So we, we've got this photo on the wall uh, that we use to hang one of our uh, working tools on for degrees. And no one could ever tell me who this was. Uh, until eventually I found this small photo you see down at the bottom there. Um, and this is of the, uh, oh, and now it's going to skip my mind, the, the Union Soldiers Fraternity Grand Army of the Republic. I'm sorry. Uh, so it was a fraternity just for Union soldiers, which pretty much all of our guys, uh, except for Deuce's great-grandfather, <laughs> belong to. Um, and it was because of this picture here, I was actually able to find out who this was. This guy standing in the back, 
William McClintock. He's, he served as a master at Gardner Lodge for probably almost 13 years in a row, I believe it was. Uh, so very, very neat there. And then, of course, we had talked about our first worshipful master, William McClintock, who had an amazing story as well. Um, but due to the time, we won't get into that. What I will say is if you guys want to know more about William McClintock and his almost death in the battlefield before he ever made it to Gardner, uh, go pick up the book because it's all in there. So this is what we're going to do, guys. We are going to do our toast, and then I still want to talk uh, about today and tomorrow of Gardner Masonic Temple real quick. And that is where our current master and our soon-to-be master, as long as he doesn't screw up too bad, uh, are going to have the thing to say. So while we're at the 9 o'clock hour, I'm going to ask our city master if he'll give us a toast this evening. Most worshipful, not most worshipful, worshipful Brother Gerald. Well, I've, I've not given one of these toasts, Alex, so I'm not exactly sure. Um, Be anything you like. You know, I, I think the thing that ties us, and, and I'd have to reach up here to cover to grab my drink. I'm sorry, it's not ready, but I'm going to. I think what ties us is this history. And um, if I were to toast anything, it'd probably be to our history and that it's never forgotten. And may we carry it forward. And that's what we're here to do tonight. And um, to all those who don't forget, cheers. To our history, cheers. All right, we got Brother Dave Jackson in the comments here asking to flash up a photo of Frank Lyon again, the secretary that saved those records. That is Brother Frank there. Give him a second to look at that. Uh, Worshipful Brother Gerald, I want to ask you, uh, as city master, bring us into Gardner Lodge today. We've talked a bunch about the history, uh, the mission to this point, um, but what is our aim and our mission today? Well, I think like most lodges, we, we had, I felt, really good momentum going into 2019. Uh, we had started a lot of initiatives that seemed to be well-received, and we were getting great participation. Um, and then, of course, the COVID crisis hit, which, um, you know, not meeting for a year um, has been a struggle to bring our brothers back in. Um, you know, good habits die quickly, as you know. Um, bad habits <laughs> sprout up to take their place. And, and I think um, right now it's, you know, we're under that, um, I'm gonna say, I feel like I'm under the pressure to lead our lodge back to where it was before COVID. Um, just, just get the continuity going again so that when Justin and the future masters take over, they have that foundation from which to build. Very well put. Brother Justin, you are currently sitting as our senior warden. Maybe you'll screw up and be nothing next year, but you don't screw up too bad. You better not screw up. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, or else, or else Gerald's going to be doing it again. <laughs> you could be headed for the hot seat and be the worshipful master. So you've been in for a few years now. You, you, you've seen the history. You've seen where we are. 
where in your eyes is Gardner Lodge going? Well, where I would like it to go is kind of like we're, you know, uh, Workful just kind of said, you know, is, is to build on that. You know, he's trying to lay that foundation uh, for us, you know, and then my goal is to hopefully just kind of build on it, you know, maybe reach out to some of those um, brothers that aren't coming, you know, reach out to them, say, hey, what's going on, you know, try to get them to come back in, you know. I think that's the important part, you know, is I, we don't have like a membership problem, you know, it's a, you know, come back, you know, a participation, you know, come back yeah. and, you know, but then again, I think that's up to us as well to uh, provide that value, you know, give them something back. I think that's important. You know, um, just like I said, Brother Gerald, he's doing the, um, the education part. I think that's huge. That was that's what's big for me. You know, he, he's been doing those uh, presentations on artwork and, you know, how it's connected to masonry. I think that's huge, you know, um, when it comes to just providing that, because I think there's a lot of the younger generation that wants that you know, our generation, I would say that wants that education that wants to learn. So I think that's, for me, that's kind of the direction I want to go is, you know, build on that foundation that brother Gerald's put up and then, you know, kind of take it forward. Fantastic. Uh, brother Gerald. So you started something interesting this year, uh, because we finally, after we had several years of dealing with very unfortunate roof leaks and, uh, just kind of overall destruction of our Masonic temple to a bad roof. Um, we got that lodge room redone professionally, uh, replaced the ceiling tins uh, almost exactly on the same machines they were used to make the first ones, which is a really cool story, uh, but got that lodge room looking really, really good. And one of the things you implemented was a photo in the East. Uh, would you tell me a little bit about that? and who you chose and why yeah you know that that's that was something we haven't done in the past and um basically it was kind of a master's tribute if you will to a, um, a past mason that you wanted to uh, try to emulate in some ways that you knew that um you could and in, in this particular case uh, i think i've been pretty clear what what side of the state line i fall on most of the time and I actually grew up in Independence, Missouri, which was the home to Harry S. Truman. Went to Harry S. Truman High School, in fact. And one of the things, one of the great things in Freemasonry, and, and I, I wish you could see the capital G-R-E-A-T when I say great, um, is the aspect of on the level to me has always um, seemed beyond most people's grasp of how important it is that we as a fraternity meet and are important singularly within the group and that no one supersedes somebody else. So even when you're master, you're still on the level. We're, we're still, there's you know nothing more special about me being a master than being uh, a junior steward. Um, we're all there together. And Harry S. Truman sort of personified that for me. Um, for those of you who have read um, McCullough's biography on Truman, um, you'll find that um, he was a just an average guy. You know, he was nothing, never considered himself above anybody. Growing up in Independence as a kid, I remember seeing him walk around on the square and, you know, people point out to me, hey, that guy used to be president of the United States. And, and so I came to expect that that's what happened with presidents of the United States when they stopped. You know, they go home and they walk on the square and nobody bothers them. 
Um, and then as I got older, of course, I found out it's, it's a little different than that. But that's what Harry S. Truman was. I, I think he took this virtue very, very seriously. And it's, and it's one that I take very, very seriously. I've held a lot of positions in my professional career where I've been a leader in this, that, and the other. And I've always wanted people to feel like it, that they can come talk, that this is a place of open communication. And I think Harry Truman did that. And so we've started this new tradition. I hope that Justin carries it forward in future masters. As you pick this, this, this former Mason and you try to bring what it, whatever that virtue was that you feel that represented him best um, forward. And that's something we can concentrate on for that year. A hundred percent. I think it's a beautiful aspect and I look forward to seeing uh, who brother Justin would pick. Uh, so come that time, uh, brother Deuce, you, you have served as master, but you're back in the junior warden chair this year. If tradition carries, do you see yourself serving as master again? Yeah, you know, I uh, it's 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 been a few years, and I, I'm sure I could knock the rust off. But uh, um, I, I, you know, it, it's you know, we, we talked about you know where we're at, you know, as far as trying to get activity going, and I definitely uh, my heart's in this lodge. So I mean, whatever uh, whatever I can do to help out, and then also looking looking back through our past. I mean, your book is the great example of, of when you go year after year of seeing, uh, you know, past masters jump back into different chairs. I mean, and you know, that's, that's open to me. I'm, I'm ready to plug any gap, uh, you know, fill in any holes, uh, because, you know, I, you know, I I've done a lot of them, you know, even the first time I went through, I don't know that I spent too much time in some of the chairs, you kind of skip around a little bit, but, um, but no, I, I think that's definitely, uh, something that I can definitely do to stay and step in and, and go through again. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 could be could be in the cards. We'll see. We'll see where it goes or where I'm needed. Sweet, sweet. Well, hopefully Justin doesn't screw up too bad and throw all the the line off, right? <laughs> I mean, we could just make these guys go on two or three year stints. I mean, just oh, looking at the book, it's been done. You know, it's actually. Oh my gosh, I'm a year and a half into mine. I, yeah. I stepped in the middle of last year. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Of course, there was nobody's lodge. It was a COVID year, so yeah. some of these terms go about four, five, six, seven years. You know, I mean. Uh, you're right. We'll all step in wherever we need to step in. That's just what we do. Yeah. So we are at 910. Uh, I want to go around and give an opportunity for final clock or final clots. Jeez, that sounds medically traumatic. <laughs> final thoughts uh, before we close out this evening. Uh, let's start off with uh, Worshipful Brother Gerald. Any final thoughts this evening? Well, first of all, Alex, thank you for you know hosting this um this uh, podcast and what you're doing in front of the history of not only um, our lodge, but for all of Kansas, you know, you're, you, it, it takes somebody with initiative to get up and do these sort of things. Um, and I, I would say that most of us don't appreciate how much effort you put into it. And um, for that, I, I want to thank you. And I thank you for these types of podcasts that you're doing. Um, when I, I was just thinking of um, a poetic way of stating about history and future is I don't think we want to get too caught up in the history or we'll miss the future. But at the same time, I don't think we move forward without understanding our history. So we're kind of at a crossroads um, in that society's changed a little bit. We're at the down point like we were before in the history of Freemasonry. Um, we've seen that throughout the last 300 years, the ebb and flow 
um, of participation. And I think we're at the, the bottom of that cycle again. And it's kind of exciting that we get to be the guys that push it forward to bring it back to where it was at its peak. So, but it's, it's guys like you to make that happen, Alex. And I really appreciate the opportunity um, to come on here and be with you. Oh, thank you. And my, my pleasure to have you on. Uh, let's go. Brother Deuce, any final thoughts this evening? Yeah, no, I, I, I as well, I appreciate you you doing this. Uh, you know, I love the lodge. I mean, it, it's part of my history. It, it's part of my family, um, you know, but it, it's even more more than my family. It's the brothers that, that, that I've worked with over the years. I've gotten to know, you know, these these iconic historic figures, you know, like Doc Anoki, you know, sat in lodge with, with Cot Cordell. You know, he's all over your book. Uh, I've worked alongside him. That's just it. I, it's, it's just great to, to look back and, you know, right now, currently, everybody that we're working with now, uh, looking back in the past, uh, to be able to say I sat and lodged with that person and even to say I worked with that person, yeah. you know, that's, that's just yeah. so cool, you know, and, and that's could just be doing degree work or it could be helping serve biscuits and gravy or something like that, you know, <laughs> I mean, for the community. So all those things are, are what, what keeps me coming back. So uh, it's definitely something that, that I like to do. Fantastic. Brother Justin, final thoughts for history or future? Um, well, first, you know, Alex, thanks for having me on. You know, I know. Regretting uh, it already. I, I'm about it. I tell you what, you know, I mean, for me, you know, you've always been, you know, great, you know, helping me out through my all my stuff. I mean, you know, we still talk to this day. I still text you in the middle of the day, you know, hey, can you help me with this? <laughs> so, you know, I just appreciate, you know, you taking the time you know, and helping me in my journey, you know, um, and then for the lodge, you know, I mean, goodness me, you wrote a book, you know? So, I mean, yeah, just very grateful. So, well, I, I, I feel like I get more, uh, more credit for that than to do, you know, the lodge wrote the book. I, I just put the words on the paper. The story wasn't mine. The story is just, uh, bringing forward a story that deserved to be told because, uh, the men that came before us uh, in this lodge, uh, really did some tremendous things. And, you know, it's only because of their labors that we get to enjoy it to this day. So uh, really, it's, it's it's all to their honor. Well, brothers, thank you so much uh, for joining me this evening. I feel like we can go on for a whole nother hour uh, just chatting away with Gardner History because there's some really fascinating stuff in there that we didn't even get near touching. Uh, but truly appreciate you coming on. Truly appreciate all of you joining us live this evening. And we will see you next two weeks right back here on historical light until then keep illuminating our past we'll see you guys soon
far past. We'll see you guys soon. All right.